Hey, this is Zac Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And my name is Kenny Kane, EVP of Mission and co-founder of Stupid Cancer, and we are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Yes, sir, it's not okay. It's not okay. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. And tonight's show is no exception. We are featuring the wonderful celebrity comedian, entertainer, stand-up comic Tig Notaro, who just went through a bilateral mastectomy for breast cancer. And on the second half of the show, we'll be discussing teen cancer in the United States with Lauren Scott, who is a young adult, uh, actually a teen cancer survivor, one of our poster children, literally and figuratively. Uh, her mom, Cherry Shoto, who is an amazing patient advocate for teens with cancer. And Leslie Cage, who is the Director of Programs and Services for the Northern Nevada Children's Cancer Foundation. All right, Matthew, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer. Online at stupidcancer.org, the largest support community for young adult cancer movement. Okay, so welcome aboard another fun and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where we're mission. It's not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. All righty. Good evening, Kenny. Que pasa? Que pasa? We are, we are once again graced with the presence of the lovely and talented Annie Goodman. Hi. Welcome back. Thanks welcome back. Me. Our wonderful guest co-host. This is three times the charm. I know. How are you feeling? I feel pretty good. How was your, uh, your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was great. Yeah? My family came in town. My uh, eight-year-old niece surprised me. She, uh, I get a little, you know, choked up when I talk Foclamped? about this. I get a little verklempt. Talk amongst yourself. She, uh, <laughs> she surprised me by cutting all of her hair off. She donated it, and she's donating it to Pantene Great Lengths. She, uh, you know, my oldest brother had a mustache we made fun of, like, you know, his whole life. Right, right. And he shaved it off when I started chemo because that was his way of helping. And um, and also because we told him it was time to get rid of it. 
didn't, didn't look good. Bad luck. Fair so, enough. November's uh, almost over. Yeah, November's yeah. almost over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he did the he did like the opposite of November. He shaved his mustache for cancer awareness. Oh. So, yeah. So my uh, anti-November. Yeah. So my little niece uh, cut all of her hair off and is donating it. That's so wonderful. It was really, really good. wonderful. It was very sweet. It's amazing how, you know, how something so little can mean so much. It's yeah. It it's the gesture is such so magnanimous for yeah. a young girl like that. Wow. Yeah. Eight years old. And we're enjoying the inverse, seeing you every week with more and more hair. Yeah. Like we discussed exactly. before yeah. the show. Every week, I uh, it's a little longer. Well, we are also joined tonight by our fabulous interns, Maddie Beckett and Taman Kim. Good evening, Good folks. Evening. Actually, your mics are off. Try it now. Good evening. There we go. Oh, Matt's still off. Let's try it again. Three times. Good evening. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Fantastic. Good evening. Good evening. Hello. How was your Thanksgiving, Matt? It was great. What'd you do besides eat? Drink and just have fun with the family. Okay. I'm telling I'm motioning for you to talk more directly into the microphone. I eat and just ha- <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Oh, that you, gets you, you done good. Yeah, it's okay. Wah, wah, wah. Wah. And Taman, you were in you were in Washington D.C. Yeah, I went to Seattle. All right, you were in Seattle and then you were in D.C. Yeah, it was so. great Thanksgiving. Had a good time. Yeah, fantastic. And Kenny, I I saw that you indulged quite tremendously. I did. I had uh, many Thanksgivings. Yeah, <laughs> there was <laughs> many thanks were given. And uh, my sister's favorite line of the night was when my grandmother says uh, to each of us, hey, did you guys get free turkeys this year? You know, like how the supermarket gives it away. Right. So I responded, uh, the beer distributor does not distribute free turkeys based on spending. The beer <laughs> distributor. Unfortunately. <laughs> exactly. So it was a good, it was a nice break. Yeah. And the something that we deal with a lot, emails were nice and, and slow. No, it's good, and it's Cyber Monday, and we're online not selling stuff. Yes. Well, we Actually, that's not true. The, the opposite of <laughs> that anyone is, true. Anyone listening live can go to the Stupid Cancer Store at stupidcancerstore.org for a Cyber Monday 30% off all products right now. And it'll. It's, I think I put it until tomorrow night. Yeah, so. we're going to run it till like, uh, what's the equivalent of Cyber Tuesday? It's like post-traumatic stress it's, Tuesday uh, or something <laughs> like that. It's uh, Bitmap Tuesday. Bitmap Tuesday something. Okay, good, good, good. Um, all right, so anyway, I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I was going to say, out what with did you my, do? Went to my, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law's house with the kids and my you, wife. you didn't get enough of them during Sandy. No, no, yeah. living with them for 12 days was wonderful, but we were really happy to be back in our, our place. And, uh, and it was good. My, my mother-in-law is a great cook. Um, it, She's listening. No, no, I'm serious. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, there's no reason to, to, to do She really is a good cook. It's wonderful. So that's because my, my wife is listening to the show right what, now. What, what did the kids eat? Uh, Hannah ate goldfish, like mm. peppered from goldfish. That Yummy. was their phenomenally nutritious Thanksgiving. They dinner. might have had fish. Uh, Thanksgiving. No, 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 not, no. I mean, like the crackers. No, I, I but I'm saying <laughs> not that, actual goldfish. Uh, in in one of the first few Thanksgivings, there could have been fish present. That is true. Well, actually, the last Thanksgiving, I think they were still on soft solids. Oh. Right, and the, or the first Thanksgiving, they were just on like bottles. So. It's the third Thanksgiving. It's a step up. It's amazing. A big step up. Getting old. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so what else is going on in the news? Nothing? Hmm. Just the uh, the new Facebook, the new old Facebook, my status is copyright me. Everybody's Actually, people should be aware of this. Facebook is now creating a new privacy settings thing. And the new privacy settings contract with its user, whatever it's called, the, um, the user <laughs> agreement. The, the EULA. 
Yeah, you lost. And, and user license agreement. Yes, exactly. There's a new. Everyone should be aware of this now. Um, there's a, the new one that they're proposing, because they have to do everything based on a democratic vote. But of course, they're not promoting the vote. They're just kind of keeping it like the secret place and hope people vote. Um, will renounce their um, accountability to make changes without user approval. Because right now they can't do anything unless so they have a majority. It's basically like everything else on the internet. Right. Exactly. Slowly losing more and more. I mean, more they have a privacy. billion users, so they need mm -hmm. 500 million and one users to agree to this for a majority. And the 500 million and one users don't do this, then the privacy, the new privacy settings kick in right away, and it's bad news. It seems really complicated. Yes, it's very complicated. Anyway, I met this new guy on, on Twitter. On um, Match.com? Match.com, yeah. exactly. J-Date. His name is uh, Chef Eric. I'm going to mess this up. His name is Chef Eric. Um, uh, is that the guy with the uh, the crazy awesome beard? Yeah, he's he's got like this amazing restaurant in Jersey. He just had cancer, and um, he uh, he's got he's like the like a normal version of Guy Fieri. Okay. And I'm messing up his Minus name right the, now. You know, bad review of the New York Times. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that was terrible. That was terrible. I'm gonna try to find it. Kenny, do do a search. I for think him. it was in Yammer. Well, yeah. It was, Something about an open source, is that the brain cancer guy? No, that's a different guy. Oh, that's a different that's guy. A different guy. Wow, that we, guy we, got, was, we got a lot of guys tonight. There's a lot of guys tonight. No, the, the open source brain tumor guy is a... Um, that's who I was referring to. He's a I wouldn't Spanish want that. artist um, who was just diagnosed with brain cancer and has wonderful ideas about how to open source your, your DNA. And they're doing that already. If I, though, if, if he was the guy who was the cook, I would not want him to be my cook. <laughs> the, the, the length of his beard. It is exactly. quite, it's quite epic. Does he put like a hairnet over it? Uh, you know what? I, I actually I went into a whole. Oh, I found him. His name oh. is Chef Eric Levine. Chef Eric Levine. Yes. I was gonna say I went into a Whole Foods one time, and the guy was in Georgia, and the guy had a beard down to like his kneecaps, and he had the whole thing suspended in like a giant hairnet. Right. <laughs> oh, that's like, not good. Like, What's the point? <laughs> exactly. Let me see here. Um, I'm going to try to find a little article so, about it. So him. what's the deal with the, the chef? No, he's he's very cool. I want to host an event at his restaurant in, in northern New Jersey oh, with our okay. chapter there. We just go binge eat. Exactly. No, I want to go there anyway because he, he's very cool. What kind and, of food is it? Um, it? It's like American cuisine. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to find his website. I think it's chefericlevine.org or .com as we largely try to stall for time because Tig is running late and calling into the show. Okay. Um, all right, Kenny's going to keep digging on the internet, and uh, I'm going to try to dig up that uh, that brain tumor story because that was really impressive. This it was. Guy, um, apparently, he talks about um, how do we. He went through all the crap of like how it's difficult to talk to different doctors about your record if your record is over here and you go to this hospital over there, and it, it's it's an incredible challenge to homogenize everything into one sort of system. And this is kind of along the lines of where I've been involved in the last mm -hmm. couple of years. In, in all these startup incubation accelerator systems, and uh, oh yeah, here, Kenny found him, uh, and and you know the the inherent challenges of how do you standardize uh, patient um, you know guidelines and patient data, and if you have a blood test here and you go this place, you know no one's really going to specifically uh, be able to guarantee or know what you did over here or there, and that the doctors don't talk to each other, the hospitals use different systems, and even if there is a way for patients to standardize what they're going through, it doesn't necessarily mean that the clinic you're going to will adopt that platform or that technology. That was one of the issues I had during uh, Hurricane Irene. Was, yeah, was that was, was it Irene? Was that, was, was that yes. a term? No, Sandy. 
Sandy. Oh, the one just recently. Yeah, the one just yeah. recently. When I couldn't get treatment at uh, NYU because it was closed down, I was trying to get into other locations, but I knew there was no way any doctors would see me because all of my documents, my scans, my blood test results were all at another location. So it would be nice to know. It's a problem if you try to go to different doctors at different loca- at different hospitals. Not every hospital will take results or scans from another location. Right, exactly. So you have to, like, it's easier just to go all within one, uh, you know, one treatment center. But if you try to go to doctors at different treatment centers, then you start running into problems of whether they'll accept your scans or whatever. Well, Kenny, you worked in the hospital setting. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that one of the biggest challenges is when you have these these siloed uh, software companies who may pop up and have this newest and greatest product. It's kind of like if every healthcare system used Facebook and the Facebook app, we'd all be fine because everybody has Facebook and everybody goes to the doctor. You know, these companies come and go, and uh, it would be great if suddenly there was this, this system that was universal. It should almost be a government mandate whether or not, uh, you know, we use this system versus that system. In any case, let's just say dead air, dead air, dead air, dead air. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, we, we pulled up Cher, uh, Chef Eric Levine's website. It's uh, chefericlevine.com. And uh, let's see here. He has been, it's an amazing story. He's going to come on the show in, in, um, in uh, January. When we do another show on celebrity chefs, actually Hans Rufer, as many people might know from the show, yes, Hans Rufer had like a Hans was it Hans Cooks? Yeah, HansCooks dot com. Uh, Hans had his entire stomach removed because of stomach cancer, and he's still a chef. He still eats his own food, and he's an amazing guy. So in any case, uh, Eric was a uh, you know born in Brooklyn, and he's a great chef. And his uh, restaurant is called Morris Tap and Grill, and it is in Morristown, New Jersey. It looks very, almost very commercial. It looks a little commercial, but I, it, it's. I'm sure it's great. Though. I'm sure it's pretty cool. These savory marshmallows are making me hungry. Oh, yeah. and his recent tweet, ironically, is I, in response to the new Facebook guidelines, I hereby <laughs> declare that my copyright is attached to all my personal issues, and that you know, it's a, yeah. All right. Oh, so but, he, but he deleted it. Yeah. If yeah. you click through to it, he deleted it. Yeah. All right. We'll, Interesting. We'll, we'll give him that one. In any case. All right. Well, I think we have Tig on the line here, so um, let's uh, let's cue this up. And uh, and get her going. Okay, Tig Nataro is a stand-up comic, writer, and radio contributor. You've seen her on Comedy Central Presents, Sarah Silverman Program, This American Life, and Conan. And her podcast, Professor Blastoff, is pretty damn cool. Uh, she was just recently pronounced cancer-free after undergoing a bilateral double mastectomy, and it's a pleasure to welcome her to the Stupid Cancer Show. Please join me in welcoming Tig Nataro. Hello, Tig. Hi, how are you? Good evening. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No, we're, we're thrilled to have you. We were obviously following your story quite um, voraciously over the past couple of uh, weeks and months, and we're really happy that uh, you are where you are right now. So congratulations. Congratulations. Me too. Thank you. I was hoping, uh, just for the listeners out there who may not know of, uh, you know, your career, it's quite extensive. Can you uh, just talk us through how you got to where you are? Um, well, I mean, to go back to the very beginning, just open mics and leading into uh, developing my my uh, comedy to where I start going on the road and then 
that turned into doing, uh, you know, television here and there, and then that turned into getting recognized for my stand-up and then being put into um, TV shows and movies and just kind of went from there, you know. But it all started at open mics. Right, and, 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 you know, that's a great story for any up-and-comers out there that are really trying to figure out what, what they can do with their careers at this point. Um, you yes. know, very impressive uh, resume of, of your appearances. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's you know, is it was it really a shocker, you know, rhetorically um, to be diagnosed with cancer, you know, at such a young age and, you know, this whole scary tactics that they have with the 1 in 5 and the 1 in 8 and the 1 in 10 and the 1 in 2, you know, I would love to hear you. You know that that you know we and we have your bit. We we got a, a permission to play part of your bit. The the, the magnificent uh, you just did the Taking Tour live. Uh, how you are using humor to sort of satirize what you went through. It's Taking Tour live. Oh, it's live. Even better. <laughs> yeah. Even better. Yeah. I uh, I thought it was an appropriate title, and then also it kind of made me laugh to think that. Um, I would have to always correct people because <laughs> it is uh, it's obvious it's a more obvious title for it to be Tignotar alive but it's live. It's the forced talking um, point. I love it. Yeah. Um but um yeah, of course I was completely shocked when I was diagnosed and um and uh and and shocked that I came through it so quickly. Um you know, so far so good. Did you, uh, was this like your annual mammogram, or did you, you know, happen to find a lump and then you went to the doctor? How did it all start that you that they even found this? Well, I found a lump, I guess, over a year ago, and um, I mentioned it to my doctor, and then um, she said based on the way it felt, she wasn't very worried about it, and based on her delivery, I wasn't worried about it, and um, I hadn't had the mammograms yet, and um, and then I got sick um with uh, uh intestinal bacterial infection called C diff and when I had to keep going for follow up uh appointments for C diff I mentioned, you know, I still had that lump and and um and so my doctor said, Well, you know, uh might as well go check it out and so that's when I went and got a mammogram and um and then and, and then biopsies, and and then I was uh, diagnosed. Yeah, I'm. My name is Annie, by the way. I am, was diagnosed myself with breast cancer in February, and I'm finishing treatment this week. And pretty similar oh, story. Wow. Yeah, I found a lump, but my doctor put the fear of God in me, and I got a mammogram two days later because she said that uh, that doesn't feel so good. She said that feels really solid. So I went to doctor. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got a mammogram, and my first and last, I had a mastectomy as well. So, a double, yeah. A double mastectomy? Oh, yep. wow. Yep, I have both. I figured might as well take both while you're in there. Have a matching yeah. set, got some fake boobs out of it. You know. Yeah, I didn't have reconstructive surgery done. I um, I just, I don't know. After all the appointments that I went to, I just was thinking, you know, I, I, I didn't have a big chest to begin with, so I just felt like, uh, I'm done with it. I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, your use of humor. What I and I had cancer 17 years ago. I had brain cancer 17 years ago, which was terminal, but actually wasn't terminal. Oh. It's been fun proving them wrong this whole time. In any case, oh my god, you know, 
what I've found in the, you know the the ensuing years since is that you know younger people, I mean the under fifty crowd, I suppose, they tend to deal with their diagnoses more satirically and, and you know more more stick pokingly if, if I can make that word up, versus the older people who are you know very sort of stuck in their you know whatever whatever. Uh, I'm I'm really uh, impressed and inspired by how you channel that into this during such a hard year for you. Uh, is that something that occurred naturally to put thought into that, or is it just who you are? Well, it, um, when I was originally diagnosed, I had canceled my show because I was devastated. But then the theater moved the show to the following week in the event that I wanted to perform. And so I didn't think I would want to, but then as the week came around, I had so much on my mind. And... Um, yeah, it it's 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 crazy how devastating situations and news can spark humor, but I guess that is just, you know, how I filter things um and deal with things and it just seemed to make sense. And I, I it made sense for me. I was I, I was mainly surprised that the audience went with me as much as they did. Yeah, that's, I listened to it yes I downloaded it yesterday on iTunes and it's really amazing. I laughed and cried and I loved it and one of the things I was oh, wondering thank was, you. yeah, it was really great. And, you know, I, I remember towards the end you made a comment like, do you guys want me to tell jokes? And everyone, uh, I remember some, everyone started yelling, no, no, because they wanted to keep, yeah. you know, keep talking about your story. And it was, it was really great. And one thing I was wondering, I was listening to the whole thing, did you rehearse any of this? Or did you just kind of show up as a blank slate and say, let's see where this goes? Well, I didn't rehearse, but I had written things down, and I went on stage with uh, some notes. And um, and so part of it, I had notes of ideas that I had thought before, and then I would, you know, improvise a bit on stage, and it was a mixture of things, and um, interacting with the audience, and I had no idea, you know, and I, I, I had no idea what to expect, and I, I was not planning on releasing that as an album, um, as as my next record, but I'm certainly glad that I did. You want if we cut away to a minute of the piece? I'd love to, for the for the crowd to hear exactly what we're talking about. Uh, not a problem. Okay, well here we go. Tignataro, live, not live, live. Uh, here's what happened. I went. I'm going to get very personal. Found a lump. Guys, relax. Everything's fine. <laughs> I have cancer. <laughs> Found a lump. Got a mammogram. You know, they're doing the ultrasound. They're like, oh, we found a lump. I was like, oh, no, that's my boobs. <laughs> they're like, no, 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 we, we found a lump on the other side, too. I was like, yeah, I got one over there, too. Those are my boobs. Well, you certainly seem to have the uh, the crowd's attention, to say the least. What's that? You certainly seem to have the crowd's attention, to say the least. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. They were um, They were remarkable. I always say that it was the exact... 
perfect people that were there that night. They really uh, carried me through that uh, evening and that moment. So you're now in the world of of post cancer or the, the you know the cancer verse, as we kind of <laughs> joke. You know, uh, you know, has this? And I don't want to sound rote in, in asking these sort of seemingly banal questions, but has it given you a, a different sense of your your your, your comedy, the way you want to express yourself, or you're still in that process of, Jesus Christ, what the hell did I go through? Because your, your quote of God doesn't give you anything you can handle, and that's like a crock of shit. I, I, I subscribe to that every <laughs> single day. Huh. Right. Yeah, I I mean, I've been writing uh, new material, and uh, I haven't performed stand-up since I recorded that album. But um, I... I, I really don't know what to expect um, from my comedy and my writing, what, what's going to end up on stage. And right now I'm just writing down anything I think is funny. And, um, you know, some of it's very personal. Some of it has to do with being sick and and the loss that I've experienced in my life. And then um, some of it's just ridiculous, you know, Uh unrelated to anything so i really i'm really curious to see how it's gonna go because your guess is as good as mine you know i think part of your act you uh you know brought up how starting a date again and you said you know uh-huh. putting up an online dating profile to put like a disclaimer have <laughs> you uh you know have you started dating again or you know how you kind of approach that because i know that especially for you know single p i'm single too and it's, you know, it's not easy, and it just, I mean, dating in New York City sucks, dating in L.A. sucks, it sucks everywhere. So how do you kind of, you know, have you ventured out there yet? Have you put up the online profile? I have. Profile? I, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I had, <laughs> I, I was oddly lucky, um, pretty immediately, and, um, and so, yeah, I've, I've definitely not been, um, just uh, a single person alone in the world. Um, it's been it, it was a little surprising, but that whole uh, area of my life is is good. I'd say actually every area of my life is good right now. I really don't have a complaint. I mean, there's certainly things like losing my mother and and uh, and uh, mainly that I guess that's lingering and painful. But I. I don't know. I I've had a really great life, and uh, I feel tremendously lucky. Well, I mean, the New York Times piece called your last six months a nosedive. I, it, how did you react to that? Well, I mean, that's what I called it. Okay, then there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what uh, the four months. All, all these things happened to me in four months, and um, I mean, that's all it felt like was. Uh, a nosedive because <laughs> it, it completely was, but I'm I'm on the I'm on the way back up. By the way, total t- total side note: Amy Schumer is a friend of the organization. She performed live for us uh, three years ago at a comedy benefit. So oh, very cool oh, that nice. you're working with her. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. Yeah, working and living with her. Excellent. Are you officially in New York, or you're moving here soon? Oh, I'm here. I'm uh I've been here a couple of months and I'm uh performing tonight actually at the Gramercy Theater doing uh, a 
podcast. I'm not That's doing stand-up, but I'm just uh, I'm a guest on a podcast. Were you at all affected by the storm with your treatments? Uh, no. I, you know, I didn't do any follow-up treatment. Um, I had my double mastectomy, and then I did not um, do chemo or radiation or anything. Are you so, in a wait and see, or you're giving the you're, you were giving the all clear, right? I was. I mean, my my oncologist um, preferred if I did some chemo, but um, since they felt like they got it all uh, in my surgery, I wanted to avoid chemo if at all possible. And Smart so move. I'm just I'm just gonna stick with the checking in every six months. And but as far as the the storm, yeah, I. I was in a mandatory evacuation area, and I went to Connecticut for a couple of, or a week. Um, but um, it just interrupted uh, my regular life. Are you doing a tamoxifen thing, or are you just uh, following up regularly? Yeah, just follow-ups right now. Um, I'm I'm hoping that that uh, that the surgery was enough. Well, we got our fingers crossed for you, and, uh, you know, open invitations well, for drinks anytime with us here at Stupid Cancer. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. No, and thank you for making the time. Good luck with everything, and enjoy your awkwardly yeah, strained newfound fame having survived <laughs> cancer. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you all in person. Yes, you will. Thank you, Tig. All right. All righty. Okay. Bye. Bye. Tig Natara, everybody. Fantastic. Fantastic. Wish her all the best. Absolutely all the best. And that's very cool about Amy Schumer. Um, actually, this was before your time, Kenny, but in the year 2000 I, and... I know of the event. Yeah. It was a stupid cancer comedy show in 2010, and uh, Amy was one of the uh, comedians. It's great. It's great. Very it's cool. wonderful. All right. In any case, now it's time for the news. Hello. I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay. Here at Stupid Cancer, we promote and host hundreds of U.S. events each year, and we don't want you missing out on any of them. Kenny, what's up? All right, everybody, head over to events.stupidcancer.com, soon to be .org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something will be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. And we've got some events coming up. The I think prior to the holiday season, it's just the one out in San Diego. Okay. 1212. The, the Ungala. The inaugural San Diego Stupid Cancer Ungala, which I am happy to be attending. Yes. And uh, if you're on the West Coast or the anywhere over there, we'd love to see you. Absolutely. Okay, folks, the sixth annual OMG Cancer Summit is live. It's real, and it's awesome. April 25th through April 28th, registration is open Visit omg2013.org and join 650 of your best friends in the cancer land uh, at, in, at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. omg2013.org. All right, guys, we mentioned before Cyber Monday. The Stupid Cancer Store now has more than 20 awesome products for sale, including pins, stickers, lanyards, T-shirts, and even an awesome survivor journal. Head over to stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And finally, the Stupid Cancer Forums have over 3,000 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, caregivers, and more. Just like you, visit stupidcancerforums.org and, and that, sign up with one click through Facebook. I jumped the gun. And that, and that is, is your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News. news. All righty. No matter how many times we do it. 
All right, we are really excited for this second half of the show here. Uh, we're going to dedicate the next uh, 20 or 30 minutes to talking about teen cancer, which is sort of the, the beginning of the bell curve for the young adult cancer movement. I'm really excited to welcome to the show three wonderful people. First and foremost, Lauren Scott. I think she's 17 or 18. She'll be telling us her story. She is one of the poster children, poster young adults, poster teenagers for the stupid cancer movement. Um, she is a survivor of sarcoma. Her mother, Sherry Chodo, is her mom, of course, as I said, and uh, her mom would be her mom, I suppose. I'm, I'm, I'm drunk right now. Who is a young adult patient advocate. And joining them is Leslie Cage, Director of Programs and Services for the Northern Nevada Children's Cancer Foundation. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Leslie, Lauren, and Sherry. Hey there. Oh, hello, folks. Hello. How are you? Yeah. Doing great. I think I'm you guys good. have a computer running in the background. We're going to need you to just make sure it's muted because I think we're getting some feedback. Absolutely. Okay, great. Uh, that's Lauren's iPhone five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's let's start with Lauren because we love you. You love us. You're an extraordinary young woman, and uh, we just like you to tell your story. Well, okay. I was diagnosed in December two thousand nine. Um, at first, I was having problems just with my stomach just having it hurt, and I wasn't able to see, really. And so my mom and I thought it was an ovarian cyst or bladder infection, so I was drinking a lot of cranberry juice, you know, this and that, until we went to the gynecologist who did an ultrasound. Obviously, they wouldn't tell me anything, so... I went to the hospital. They were saying I needed emergency surgery because I thought it was an ovarian poison. So I was at the hospital. We didn't do surgery until the next morning. And come to find out how that feels. Did we lose you, Lauren? You still there? Yep. Okay, we're we're still getting a little feedback. I'm not sure if one of you is uh, using a laptop in the background. Um, I don't have a laptop on. Weird, unless it's a cell phone or something. Okay, we'll just have to work around it. Work around it. So we finally. Sorry. Using my phone. Oh. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what it is. Well, we'll we'll do our best for the show. So, how old were you when you were actually diagnosed? I was 12. 12? Wow. And how old are you now? Whoever said I was 17 or 18, I'm only 15. You're only 15? Wow. Kenny, Kenny, get the X marks the spot on that one. Huh. Yep. Kenny keeps trying to age Lauren. I'd nice. appreciate if you'd stop doing that. I'm sorry? <laughs> she's 15, but she's, she's wise beyond her years. Indeed. 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 And you look great in our T-shirt, so even better. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, Lauren goes down in history as the most virally marketed uh, stupid cancer T-shirt photo on Facebook. Was it 2.5 million people saw that photo, Kenny? Wow. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I could probably check it now. Uh, it was. It was way up there. It was insane. Absolutely insane. All right. So, all right. So, let's go to your mom. Uh, is, is it cherry or sherry? I want to get it right. It's cherry. Okay, like the fruit. 
Yep, that's what I tell people, Terry. Okay, just like the fruit. And, all right, so you are a young mother. Your daughter is 12 years old, and this diagnosis comes out of nowhere. Pretty much. I mean, both of my children have always been healthy. Um, You know, Lauren had just finished uh, an entire season of soccer where she played every single game the whole game. So there there were no symptoms leading up to this. You know, I never took the kids to pediatrician at all unless it was, you know, a horrible respiratory infection where an antibiotic was just necessary. So this was this was crazy to me. I mean, I really, with the symptoms that she was telling me or describing to me, I really thought she had a bladder or a urinary tract infection. And that's just what I kept telling myself and giving her cranberry juice. And this actually was um, over Thanksgiving break. So, you know, we had the pediatrician's office closed. And so for about a week and a half, Lauren was in a lot of pain and discomfort. And, you know, towards the end when we finally got to a diagnosis, yeah, I was thinking, okay, this isn't a urinary tract infection. This is something else. So... I guess I guess we're gonna, we're going to talk to Leslie about you know from her position running a children's cancer foundation, you know we as at Stupid Cancer you know we are our bell curve is in theory fifteen to thirty nine because that's the public policy passed down by the National Cancer Institute and the CDC, but what we found in the last six years is that we tend to trend in the mid twenties to early thirties, and if you look at fifteen to thirty nine. Even within that age group, there's like four different people. There's the teens, there's the college students, there's the 20-somethings getting their life started, and then there's 30-somethings who may have kids or a family or a mortgage or lots of debt, things like that. So it's so easy to just say young adults, but it also, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's how do you get so specifically age-appropriate along each one of those stages? So I'd like to talk to Leslie about that in terms of, you know, running a teen cancer program in Reno, Nevada. I would love to talk about that, Kenny. <laughs> and Matthew, we um, we service children, you know, from really birth. You know, we've had newborns all the way up to with our Inspire scholarships all the way up to the age of 24. And, and so... You know, the the needs of these teens, these adolescents and these young adults are very different than the younger children. You know, their 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 treatments are similar but they're different and their needs and their emotional needs especially are very, very different and that's one area that we really, really try to focus on. And then how do you make the transition? We always talk about the the magic transition because there's one thing to be in your single digits and then go through puberty and try to deal mm-hmm. with long-term side effects. But then there's like the whole pubescence through the difficult challenges of, of mean girls and boys in grade school and junior high and high school is the worst thing in the world, um, to college. That, that must be very challenging from a psychosocial perspective and the children you deal with. It's very challenging. That's a really great topic, and we could probably speak all night on that. Um, and I, for one, have had a mom. I'm a mom of a of a 17-year-old who is diagnosed with leukemia as a junior in high school. So we went from 17 to turning 18, and all of the HIPAA, 
and all of those things to trying to take the ACT, you know, on intense chemotherapy and radiation to applying to college. And these students, they face that because they want to look ahead to the future. They want to plan. But at the same time, they're old enough to clearly understand everything that the doctors are saying. You know, um, they don't want to, they just want sometimes their parents to take care of everything. But they also know that being 18, 19, 21, that they have to take responsibility for these, you know, this horrific diagnosis and these very complicated, you know, protocols that they're on and and the side effects that they're on, you know, because they they go right into young adulthood, you know, with all these issues of late effects of fertility and osteonecrosis and, you know, um, college is often delayed and... Um, taking the ACT is harder, you know, um, and all those things. So we do everything we can to help them, to let them know that, you know, look to look forward to those things. Um, but transition them, there comes a time for the parent when the parent has to take a few steps back and say, you know, you need to be on, in on this conversation with me and the doctor. Um, when those bills come and you have to learn how to pay them and, decipher what's my portion, what's the insurance portion. I've had to help teach my daughter that as well, and that sucks when you're 19 years old and you have to worry about, you know, that $74,000 hospital bill that's coming in, you know. um, And how do you navigate through all of that? That's very difficult. You know, they'd rather worry about, you know, rushing a sorority or fraternity instead of, you know, going in for their their CBC <laughs> and and uh making that copay. Yeah, and this is Annie again. My uh, question's for Lauren. How did you balance, you know, having this disease and treatment and school? Did you have to miss a lot of time at school or did you, you know, continue going all the time or did you have tutoring? You know, how did you get through all of that? It it was so hard like I can't even it's Explain how hard it was for me to go to school and have these girls be so cruel. And then school-wise, I would go just whenever I can. And until the bullying got so bad, I just dropped out of that school and started doing home hospital. Did you come, Lauren? Did you come up with any uh, come in, in encounter any problems with? friends of yours who are your age or or, uh, classmates? Yeah. This was a girl that was one of my closest friends before I got sick. And I have no clue still to this day why she turned on me and said the things that she said. Um, Still to this day, I'm just flustered with emotions. So I'll turn this over to Cherry and Leslie then. What type of social services are there? I mean, again, it's it's tough enough being 13 to begin with. And today's day, I'm, my my kids are two. I'm dreading what their life is going to be like <laughs> in terms of like you know the no eye contact and you know whole idea in in you know 11 or 12 years. But you know, I, I remember being bullied as a kid, and you know it, there was no Facebook back then, so no one really knew what was happening except the kids in the neighborhood. What what type of social services that are age appropriate go on, you know, in typical teen cancer 
uh, centers, or, you know, we talk about pediatric centers, but it, like you said, it goes up to the early 20s. Well, with Lauren, it's it, it, there's not a lot out here per se. See, Lauren is a teenager being treated at a pediatric clinic on a pediatric protocol. So a lot of the social aspect of um, the, the people that we meet are small children. Now, if we were still... Um, if we were still in the Bay Area, which was where Lauren was treated and where we lived, but we moved here to Reno about a year and a half ago, um, at a at, at Children's Hospital, you know, they do have um, social services. Uh, they have psychiatrists, psychotherapists. We do have a social worker that comes to Reno, um, but I would, I mean, I would probably hand this off to Leslie because. You know, their foundation um, really does a lot that a lot of most hospitals, like children's hospitals, you'll see them doing this portion, but the foundation really helps out the local community here in helping with um, psychosocial aspects, counseling, um, those those types of uh, avenues when you're talking about, you know, teenagers and they can't talk to their friends about the problems that they have because their friends are worried about something completely different. Yeah. And that's one of the things that Leslie and I have been going back and forth about is, you know, any friends that Lauren had prior to her diagnosis, um, they, they're they still 15 years old, and Lauren's not 15 years old anymore. Her soul is not. Right. You know, so she needs, and, and it. She needs those peers, that, that peer-to-peer social interaction where you can talk about having to get labs and feeling crummy and, and, and that, that horrible aspect of death, you know, your mortality. You're not going to talk to that, your regular friends that you might go to school with about stuff like that because they're, they're not going to be any help. Right. I wanted to turn the conversation more towards this idea of the continuum of care. You know, we we obviously stupid cancer it has become in the last six years kind of like the I'll, I'll put this nicely like the the spill dump you know the dumping grounds for what we affectionately call the Gerber graduates of pediatric cancer <laughs> and if you look at the population there's about seven hundred thousand Americans under forty who have been diagnosed with cancer under forty um, and of those seven hundred thousand about three hundred fifty thousand like almost half were diagnosed under 18 and are now over 18 but under 40. Right. So this is progress. Like we're curing more children. We're, we're, we're seeing the, the life extensions. It's not the death sentence that it was anymore. And they, they turn 18, and there are not many clinics like, like yours, Leslie, that actually see right. the continuum from 18 to the early 20s because that's probably as equally challenging as it is from like 9 to 14. It's so, very challenging. So what do you say to the institutions out there that do not recognize the need for that continuum? And how is the model that you've built really uh, sort of a, a center of excellence that other people can take uh, note from? What I would say is as the survivorship of childhood cancer continues to go up on the rise, you know, there's the, the cure rate it just gets higher and higher with our research. There's going to be an even greater population that moves into 
this adolescent young adult, you know, age group. And so it it's just going to get bigger. The problem is going to get bigger and I I would say that every dollar that is spent on following late effects and trying to relieve the burden that these patients carry so that they can re-enter into our society as, you know, productive people with things to contribute to, to is 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 money so well spent. You know, it just some they they should not be a forgotten and overlooked population, which kind of they really are, because they just fall between the cracks. Well, you know, Cherry and Lauren, you guys were at OMG. You know our organization quite well, and even though you were the youngest person there, you fit right in. And Thank you. No one, yeah, you both fit in. I mean, no one, no one looked at you and said you don't belong here because you belong there. And it, it just goes back to this, this exactly what we're talking about. How, you know, people tend to think that when the doctor says you're cured, go home. That's not the that that's just the end of the story, and it's not, especially when you're not 75 years old. And you know, like I said, I, I this can be repeated ad nauseum. It's the same thing every time. It's hard enough to be a kid. It's hard enough to be a teen. It's hard enough to be a college student. It's hard enough to be 24 and figure out what to do with the rest of your life. Right. Then you throw this on top of it. And I'm really thrilled to hear you say, you know, that as long as there is pediatric cancer research funding out there, it should really be divested into this survivor care programs and these long-term follow-up uh, you know, solutions. We want to ensure that cure doesn't end when you go out of the hospital, Right. It doesn't end. No, it does not end. And, you know, for, you know, what we have done here in in northern Nevada is, you know, we clearly recognize that they have so much to contribute to as they try to reenter society and to try to navigate, you know, this life after cancer or even like my daughter's case, she went to chemo, you know, she went to college on chemotherapy her freshman year. So, we have created a scholarship fund, and we want to help them do everything that they can to, whether it's a trade school, a community college, or a university, um, a police academy, that they, that that road and that door is open to them, you know, because they they deserve it. They have earned it, and and we want to give that to them. And if more people would do that, they could, you know, see, you know, these amazing people and and um, the the new perspective they have on their life because of their diagnosis. Right, and you know, to that new perspective, Lauren and Cherry, I know you guys uh, are are real active all day, every day, socially. Lauren on Instagram and and on Facebook, and Cherry, now you guys have the the page. Do you guys want to talk about your your Team Lola page and and Team Lola and what you did what you did back in <laughs> September with sharing the stories of all the the pediatric cancer survivors? Absolutely. You know, um, no one in my family before Lauren was diagnosed um, had cancer. I didn't know anything about cancer. And I think a lot of people, especially in the pediatric cancer world where I'm more involved, um, would say the same thing. You know, maybe had a grandmother, an aunt um, who passed away from cancer and had breast cancer and a survivor. But I saw... You know, the more I saw pink ribbons, the more I wanted to, um, you know, I, I guess my feelings were hurt. I'm like, well, what about the children? We can't forget about the children. You know, so for the last two years, 
um, for the month of September, which is um, National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, I um, kind of blow up Facebook and, you know, um, I just want, what I want to do is just bring more awareness. If you're not uh, personally involved um, in someone's life that has cancer, then, you know, you're kind of oblivious and you might go out and you might think it's cool to buy, you know, a pink shirt to support um, breast cancer, but, you know, my goal is to go into the store in September or have the NFL players wearing gold shoelaces, you know, something so that we create more awareness. And I've seen that, you know, just recently with the, the Stand Up to Cancer show where um, uh, Taylor Swift sang the song about uh, Ronan Thompson. You know, and I've been following Ronan and his mother's um, his story and his mother on Facebook for over a year. So I kind of was inspired to do something similar. So. You know, for the first, like, 10 days of September, I did a status update with a photo and a, a, a story behind the photo of um, children that are close to Lauren and I that we've lost. And, and you did a um, great job, Cherry. You were just, you. you did a fabulous job. Well, thank you. You know, I just wanted, I just wanted to get it out there. I don't want, um... You know, I just want to keep their memories alive, and then for the rest of the month of September, I did Survivor Friends, and then when I ran out of Survivor Friends, I did little stories with pictures of Lauren, and some of the pictures I've never even shared, because being a 12-year-old and um, losing your hair, there are a lot of photos that I took that, you know, she made me swear that I would never share with anyone. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you guys are doing, you know, a lot of really great things. And my question is for Cherry, as, you know, a parent, I know that having a child who has cancer is sometimes harder on the parents than actually is the patient themselves. Um, What is your advice to other parents who have children who are going through this, whether they're 12 or 30 or however old they are, if they, you know, fall in this young adult category, what's your advice for parents? As caregivers, um, the first thing that I would say, um, as a, as a parent, is don't settle for the first opinion. You owe it to yourself and to your child to get second or third opinions, just to make sure that they're being treated on the proper protocol. Especially if you have a rare cancer like Lauren's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that's super important. The second thing is to make sure that you make time for yourself. That's easier said than done, and I can raise my hand and say I'm guilty. Um, of letting things go, maybe canceling doctor's appointments or, you know, you just need to make time for yourself and then also realize that, you know, um, you can only do so much and um, what you cannot control, you have to learn to let go. Yeah, I know. Um, Good advice. Yeah, it is excellent advice. And even just how do you, just being a parent, you know, is it, I know it has to be extremely difficult having to, you know, watch. It's, it's always hard if kids, you know, have a cold, they have flu, whatever. It's tough to watch your children in pain. So what is your advice for parents of, you know, how to help, what's the best way to help your kids, you know, get through this? I know, you know, for me, um, probably the best thing for my mom to do was to kind of not over, be overbearing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was 30 years old when I was going through this, so it was a little bit different, but... You know, just as far as, you know, going through treatment, how would you, what advice would you give parents for that? 
Well, especially if you're a parent of a teenager, you need to make sure that they feel in control. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren is um, in control of um, her entire treatment plan. If um, if she doesn't want to do it, then we're not going to do it, that kind of thing. So, you know, they've already lost control of a lot, and I, I just want to make sure that she feels like she's in this, she's making the decisions, she's actually old enough to sign consent forms. Mm-hmm. You know, so I sign them with her. We go over everything. I don't don't hide um, anything. You know, if, if you get some bad news, be sure to sit down and explain it. If they found out that you hid it from them for 24 hours or whatever, they're gonna they're really going to be more angry, and I know from experience. So, you know, just be honest, especially when you're talking about teenagers. I don't have a lot of experience with younger children. You know, I just know what it's like to be a mom of a teen with cancer. And um, there's, like I said, there's a lot of things that she's lost control of. And for her to be in control of her treatment plan and be in control of her life right now, that's that's all you can get them. Right. And the thing with teens is that they, they understand so much of what is going on, you know, versus, you know, the younger children. And, and they understand the words of the doctors and the nurses and they understand right. consequences and that. That weighs really heavy on their mind, and I think as a parent you have to really look out for depression and despair and, you know, and really, really be on the lookout for that because it is really, really easy to spiral into a depression as um, an adolescent and, and, and to look out for that because, you know, their friends move on. And, you know, the day they're diagnosed, their high school career is, is over. It's never the same. You know, they never get it back, and, and they're in such a different place, like you said. But um, I think as a parent, looking out for those feelings and and um, acknowledging it and then doing everything you can to let them know that how things are today is not how things are going to be tomorrow, which is hard when you're at that age because you're so here and now. You know, but it's just the survivorship, it's a high price to pay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, Sorry, go ahead, Ken. I was going to say, at what point, or or has it yet, or will will it shortly become too much cancer? Uh, I know that I have a lot of friends who, you know, if they've have if they've been in a volunteer capacity with stupid cancer, they've maybe had to take a a lesser role just to sort of clear their mind and get out of the cancer community and 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 just stop talking about it for a little while. Mm-hmm. What what um what are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, Lauren, I can't I... stop talking about it. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren? I can't stop talking about it. <laughs> it's just an Lauren, everyday thing that you need to deal with. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I can get away, like, I cannot get away from cancer. It follows me everywhere. <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide. No. <laughs> yes. No. Do you remember, Lauren, Lauren when we went and um, we we had some girls get together? It was a small group of girls all teenagers and, and um, early 20s, and, and they went and got um, pedicures at a, a nail lounge. And um, it was really interesting to see this group of um, girls talk about their treatment plan and their wigs or their neuropathy or how their nails are messed up from the chemo and, and um, you know, talk about, you know, how do you deal with the makeup and their eyebrows or their eyelashes, and it would, 
you know, or when you were diagnosed, or do you have this symptom or that? It's very interesting for them, you know, to do that. So there are times when it's so nice and you have the right people to talk about it, and then there's other times to just table it and just to, you know, go climb that mountain or something and forget about it for a little bit. I want to take the next uh, five minutes because we have to wrap soon to talk about peer support for young adult parents whose children are sick. Mm-hmm. It's one of the interesting uh, areas that we we found that the our brand is gravitating towards. It's almost right. like th- there's a such a lack of peer support for the caregiver, specifically the caregiver under forty forty five who has a a single digit or a teen going through cancer. That's and true. We have found that out. We have found that to to be true also. So I, I I you know nothing would make me happier than to see our brand become that community for the young adult caregiver whose kid is sick. But what currently exists right now to 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 create that bond so that that mother whose six year old is going through this can tell her story and share her wisdom through the experience with the with the dad whose kid is twelve, for example. That's a really good question. I just got together with some moms about two or three weeks ago and asked them that very question because the needs of those different age groups are both very, very different. Right. So so moving into the new year in 2013, we hope as the Northern Nevada Children's Cancer Foundation to have focus groups for these specific age groups where, you know, we can do a lunch and learn or invite a special guest speaker on an expert in this age group so that these parents can get together and talk and be educated and and um, collaborate together. And, um, you know, several times a year and to make those connections with each other and network. Um, also, they also wanted to, you know, have like a private chat room for this age group, you know, um, through social media so that, they can bounce things off of each other, you know. For example, what did you do for the ACT? Or, hey, my kid's a sophomore, but he's going to be still in intense therapy. What did you guys do? Or, you know, um, college applications and things like that. So as a foundation, that is what we are really going to be focusing on, is that emotional support for, you know, that targeted age group. As well, did that answer your question? No, I mean I think I think you know some things like these. You know, we're basically we're building the house from scratch, mm-hmm. and we are. I don't really know of many peer support communities that are online that can facilitate these relationships that simply don't seem to be happening, or if they are, okay. just not enough. Well, this group of parents were really excited at the possibility of that happening, and and we're excited to you know, be maybe that vehicle because there's a need. There really is a need. You know, sometimes you're too busy. The, the You know, when whether your kid is 23 or 33 or 13, you know, um, we all have those late nights where we're, you know, searching for information when we can't sleep. Right. And just, another, it'd be and great to, to have things- a place to go. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And just to bring things full circle, uh, this year at the OMG Summit in Las Vegas, OMG 2012, we hosted about 75 uh, boomers over the age of 50, roughly. And we had a session for young adult, uh, sorry, boomer parents of young adults 
that are that are uh, that are going through or beyond treatment right now. And we found that the age of the parent really doesn't matter. They just like to meet other parents whose kids are going through this. But what we're going to find then, if we're going to target younger parents, they probably will be more uh, sort of uh, uh, agreeable to adopt a social platform for that support Very. in, in mm-hmm. complement to the in-person stuff that can be orchestrated at the centers. Cherry's a great example of that. Oh, is she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you are. You are. You're great. Great on that platform. Mm-hmm. Well, that's. I was going to plug um, the Stupid Cancer forums, um, where I would love to see more activities for caregivers. Caregivers, have that. And, <laughs> caregivers and, and kids Lauren's age. Um, I'm a. I am a forum user. I love the forum platform. So that's kind of, you know, that's how I found OMG and, you know, because I had already found TB Cancer, but I was looking, I was looking for somewhere to reach out to talk to other parents. You know, that's in my, that's my laptop. That's where I look to find friends of other parents. And that's where I've met most of the teenage, uh, parents of teenagers with cancer I've met online. Right. You know, so that's that's my platform, you know, and that's kind of, I'd love to do that, you know, some sort of mentorship, um, you know, where, you know, a, a newly diagnosed parent, you know, I could be on that hotline that they call, you know, because when Lauren was diagnosed, she got um, a red binder with all this information and, you know, some of the information didn't pertain to me and then some of the information that I was needing so badly wasn't in this binder. So that's where I went to the Internet. Yeah. Well, we're just about out of time, but I, I can't thank you guys enough for, for, you know, just we're just skimming the surface here of the uniqueness of the teen cancer world within the young adult cancer world. And certainly, sorry, Kenny just made me laugh. Certainly not the last time we'll be covering this topic. And, and I know that we are going to be working together in some fashion on OMG uh, in Vegas, and I'd love to have a deeper conversation with you guys a long term about how Stupid Cancer can sort of be that online go-to brand for you guys socially online and for events. Uh, it would be it would just be such a wonderful thing to be able to serve the teen cancer world on their terms, the way they need to be served, and their parent caregivers as well. You know, we're only as good as, you know, all of us together, so I think that is great. That is great. There is definitely a need, and you're the perfect person to make it happen. Well, I appreciate that, but actually I would defer to Kenny because he's much better looking. Oh, well. <laughs> we, can, we can't all be perfect in that. I <laughs> think Lauren might agree. Yes. <laughs> she's going to come in there and punch you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, I can't thank you guys enough. Lauren Scott, Cherry Shoto, and Leslie Cage, thank you so much for coming on the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you, Matthew. Okay. Happy holidays. Thank you. It's a big deal. She's an extraordinary young woman. She is one amazing young and, lady. And I think it's a testament to her maturity that we thought she was 17. Yeah. And she was like 14 or 15 of OMG this year. It's amazing. How she just holds herself up. You shouldn't have to go through cancer to be mature at 14. No. But uh, you got to give her credit. Really and wonderful. And her, uh, her Instagram account is very similar to 
those other channels where you know they you just give back to people who are in the same situation. Right. Just by the merit of of what you do on a daily basis. What's your Instagram? It is forever strong with two S's. Very so nice. Forever strong. Forever strong. And Team Lola on Facebook. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, that about does it for tonight's show. It's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's tonight's show, our 246th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. And a special thanks to our special co-host du jour, Andy Goodman. Thank you. Kim and Matt Beckett, Mr. Kenny Kane. And our guests, Tig Nataro, Lauren Scott, Cherry Shoto, and Leslie Cage. Next week's show is a science geek's dream come true. Guaranteed to be amazing. In our survivor, two survivor spotlights, Erica Lade, a young adult survivor of breast cancer, and Lorna Brunel, a young adult survivor of thyroid cancer and author of Dirty Bombshell. In the science spotlight, Professor Donald McEachran, who is a doctoral professor of biomedical engineering in the Science and Health Systems Department of Drexel University, and Dr. Melissa Malice, who is a senior science advisor for DBNA and the president and chief scientist of M3 Alertness Management. Sounds science and geeky, but it's going to be amazing. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane, myself, and the whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next Monday live at 7 p.m. Bye-bye. <laughs>